Joshua's gathering of the Israelites is a timely story for us today. Immersed as our own nation is in fateful choices. And before I begin, I should say that as we record our services on Thursdays at noon, we have less knowledge, no doubt, than you will have as you engage these words and this liturgy. Uh, any outcomes that you will have had at this point, we don't have. Uh, but that's no matter. Uh, as always, I have some good news to share with you, with Joshua and the Spirit's help. This is a dramatic moment. We can imagine Joshua standing before all the tribes of Israel as he preaches the old stories that they know so well, that they love to hear again. Joshua tells them of all the things God has done for them. God took your father Abraham and led him beyond the river and brought him to this good land and he gave him Isaac and to Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. And I sent Moses and Aaron to Egypt along with many plagues and I delivered you from the hands of the imperialists. I guided you through the wilderness and delivered you from the thicket. And, and when you made it to Canaan, then I led you to victory in every conquest. And now I've given you land and, and towns and vineyards and olive yards, none of which you even lifted a finger to build yourselves, but they're yours now. And then, like a good preacher, Joshua pauses for effect. And he lets the story wash over them and sink in. And now, he says, And now, therefore, revere the Lord. Put away foreign gods. If you won't serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. We can go back to worshiping the old gods, or you can enjoy some of the new gods. Either way, get on with it. Ask for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. Now I imagine a stunned or confused silence across the congregation because uh, what they just heard, they identified with. People are, are whispering to each other, what does Joshua mean, serve the Lord? Are we not serving the Lord already? So they respond in the middle of the sermon, hey, uh, reverend, far be it from us to choose other gods because we remember all that stuff you just said about the uh, Abraham and, and uh, Moses and Aaron and the Egyptians and whatnot and, and what you hath done and all that stuff. We, we remember that. We, we are serving the Lord. And then Joshua somewhat playfully eggs them on. Oh, no, no, you can't serve this God. Oh, it's too hard. This God's a jealous God, a zealous God. The God of Israel. This God doesn't suffer fools. You can't, you can't really worship and serve this Lord. And but the people, they go back and forth. No, no, we'll do it. We promise. It's like a little kid. Uh, I remember when I used to ask my parents if I could go sleep at Patrick's house. Can I go spend the night at Patrick's house? Well, I don't know. I, we'll, we won't sneak out. Well, just as long as you don't sneak out. We won't, we won't. And just as long as you don't have any parties. We won't, we won't have any parties. And just as long as you don't light any fireworks, especially indoors, we won't do it. We won't do what we did last time. 
Well, okay. Very, way, very well, says Joshua, put away the foreign gods and incline your hearts to the only God who can save you. And when I hear Joshua preach, I hear him saying, remember. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Remember who has always been with you. Remember who has always saved you. The one who has been with you to save you is the only one who will save you. But when I hear Joshua preach, I also hear him saying one more thing. And get serious about this now. You can't do this halfway. This is not a half marathon. This is the full marathon. You can't be like everyone else around you. This God is still looking to save the world through a holy nation. You have to get smart and have a sober mind and be conscientious about following this God. So, beloved, if I may be so bold, I want to try to step into Joshua's shoes now and highlight some of where our own congregation has come from. How God has led us through trial and tribulation. I want to remind you, uh, just if you don't already know, how fledgling and brittle First Baptist was early in its history. There were times across the 19th century when the church hardly met due to being scattered and and due to other hardships, in 1857, the Biblical Recorder, a widely read uh, publication for Baptists at the time, the Biblical Recorder called us a feeble Baptist church, and that this little band has had to contend with many obstacles. And I've spoken in other sermons about our past with struggles with racism and, and, and how God has led us again and again to say to more and more marginalized people that you belong here. You belong here. Not just you're included, but you belong here. And without your belonging here, we could not rightly say we belong to God and to one another. But I want to tell you of another time in our congregation's life that was a harbinger of our present challenges. So I want you to sit tight. This is, this is heavy stuff. And it's hard for younger generations in our congregation to understand the world, really this, the world that the Southern Baptist Convention was once upon a time, what it used to be for people. Decades ago, when our congregation was one of the largest and most prominent in the convention, the church was, church was life for everyone. It was just life. There were no travel sports or beach houses or brunch dates. There was no hollandaise sauce, at least not on Sunday morning. Nobody was eating hollandaise sauce on Sunday morning. It was church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and parts in between. It was as comprehensive a world and way of life as Roman Catholicism. Worship, programs, training, events, retreats, missions, perfect attendance Sundays, Easter and Christmas offerings from cradle to grave. It was, the, it was your world. It was your life. And in 1979, that world began to crumble. A small group of ministers and political operatives uh, devised a strategy to take control of this world, of the convention, and to save it from perceived liberal ideas like women ministers, <gasps> or reading scripture, not only literally, but imaginatively. The horror. 
throughout the 80s. Summer after summer, it was a battle between conservatives and moderates. There's still folks in our congregation that remember this like it was yesterday. It was carnage in slow motion. Seminary professors were secretly recorded, fired without explanation, locked out of their offices. Ministers were, found themselves torn between factions in their own congregations. Finally, the convention split in two. Churches split, friendship, friendships broke up, people who had worked and lived and ministered together and celebrated each other's birthdays and wept at each other's funerals became suspicious of each other. And I believe that was not just an old denominational fight, but a precursor to our present times. What once was just a fight between Baptists now serves as a mirror to our entire dysfunctional nation. This has had a not insignificant effect on our congregation and congregations across the country. I talked to other pastors who are truly suffering these divisions right now and these revelations and the ways that they've had to speak uh, difficult truths to, to and with their congregations and to, and to themselves. I know of one pastor who, who nearly had his office door ripped off by an angry parishioner. And we have been duped. It's very easy to be duped. And we have been manipulated by powers we don't understand and we can't control. We have suffered our own losses here. We have seen our share of heartbreak. But don't forget. Don't forget where we came from. During the Baptist catastrophe of the 1980s, our congregation was not only resilient, but prophetic and way out front in terms of discerning the truth from falsity. We had exceptional leadership among our ministers and throughout the church. And I don't mean to gloss over the complexities of the time, but it's quite clear that our congregation read the tea leaves right. And we have since become regarded as a congregation that can be trusted to tell the truth and live the truth in season and out of season, even when it hurts and even when it's scary. How can we live the truth? How can we tell the truth in this season? For one, by remembering what God has done for us, and by remembering who we are and where we came from with God's help, and by putting the old gods away. Had enough. Haven't you had enough of the old gods? I have. I know you have. I'm being rhetorical. Put the old gods away. Incline our hearts to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who raised Jesus Christ from death. It's time for all of us to forget what lies behind and to be sincere and authentic in our faith. The good news is that there is virtually nothing dividing our nation today that there isn't an antidote for in our congregation alone. So let's just say, are you flustered by all the old gods and some of the new gods? Are you flustered by, let's just call them the issues. The issues. I have good news about issues. Put the old gods away and be sincere in faith. Is anyone upset about issues, about, oh, I don't know, immigration? Well, I have good news for you. 
We have teams who have been going to Haiti and Cuba for years who'd love for you to join them. And there we can learn about the kinds of things that it might inspire someone to be so desperate to come here that they leave their home and risk their life and their family's lives. Did you know that many of those who are crossing the Mexican border are Haitian? Maybe even more of us could learn about true community from our Cuban friends, about resilience and joy. Everybody that comes back from, from Cuba has this glow. They've, they've, something new has been revealed to them about friendship and kindness and survival and happiness. With tears in, in their eyes, friends tell me of their experiences in Cuba that we wouldn't have had in our own neighborhoods. We learned it from them. Or our Cuban friends might teach us something about literacy, which their nation has far more of than ours. Or healthcare, since Cuba has been sending its own doctors to help other nations battle the pandemic. Maybe, in fact, we could send a team uh, to, to Taiwan a nation of 23 million people and only seven COVID deaths. We're approaching that number of COVID deaths in the names we heard read aloud in our All Saints worship service last week. Are you upset about the issues? Maybe you're upset about taxes. I have good news for you. We're still accepting pledges for our generosity campaign, half of which I can assure you will not go to building weapons of war. If we're worried about what's being done with our money and in our name, I can tell you we don't waste anything here on swords. But we do change lives and feed and clothe people and free people from their sins and from their hunger and from their loneliness and from their despair. Let God tax you so that you can support this outpost of love and this outfitter of true adventure. Is anyone upset about the issues? Maybe you're upset about abortion. I have good news for you. Our congregation is a culture of life and hospitality. How many couples have we had across the years who long for, to welcome life? How many of us have fostered children, adopted children, welcomed children when no one else would? How many more to come? How many people here hope for life? How many places can you go where a child can be surrounded by so much love and care and wisdom and nurture and wonder? Where people can be forgiven for the choices that they made when they didn't know what they were doing? where people facing choices today can find a place of hope and love and forgiveness. Upset about the issues? Anyone upset about global warming? I have good news. Our congregation continues to dream about what it means to care for creation and creatures from planting rooftop gardens to exploring solar energy to considering how we dispose of waste and we're just getting started just by reading the scriptures with a discerning eye to God's concern for how we cultivate life and new creation right where we are. Is anyone upset about racism? I have good news for you. 
We are a learning congregation. As the year has gone on and on, I sense an authentic longing for true friendship here. We're learning as a mostly white congregation how not to be part of the problem, but how to be true and sincere in our faithfulness and friendship with black neighbors and friends. Upset about the issues? Are you upset about politics? Are you tired of all this stuff? I have good news for you. God has already made us a politics, a political reality in the world from which other political realities can learn. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, walking into God's holy light, coming closer especially to the one who is beautiful and true. Where else can we go for all of this good news in one place? Where else can we go to remember where we came from and to know fully who we are and to be fully known and to see hope and to hope in where we're going and to give thanks for where we've been. Choose this day. This day. Now. Choose this day. Whether we will put away these other gods, old and new, and look up to the one life-giving, community-building saving God. As for me, I know as for you, as for this house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.